all right? Exodus chapter 19, and uh, I know I gave you uh, a worksheet with some blanks that we've already done. Uh, if you want to write in these blanks, if you do have them on the first page, we're looking at God's purpose revealed, uh, chapter 19, 1 to 8. And letter A, we looked at God's reminder of deliverance, his reminder of deliverance, how he had said that, hey, I overcame the Egyptians for you. Uh, I took you out of bondage on the wings, on, on wings of the eagle, uh, so forth. We talked about that in our first lesson. Letter B, I looked at God's reason for deliverance, and that's simply just to have fellowship with his people, to be with his people. It's amazing, uh, everything God, what God is going through just so he can be with us. That's really what it's all about. It's a pretty simple concept, not very complicated. Uh, we complicated it when we brought sin into the world and he had to figure a way to get us back to him, amen? He didn't figure out anything. He knows everything, amen? But uh, anyways, it, it was quite a process. And, and even the, you think about it, what Jesus did and how God set it up that his son would have to atone for our sins <clears throat> was really a, a simple plan that God had devised, but look at how long it took him to teach it to us. See, that's the whole thing about the Old Testament. He, he had to lay that foundation. He couldn't just send his son the day after we sinned. We wouldn't have got it. We wouldn't have figured it out. And so the time that he put in to help us understand the importance of what Jesus did, uh, what it means, what, it, what needed to take place, our own guilt, and how holy he was, uh, there's so many things he had to teach us before we were ready to really understand the aspect of salvation. Amen. And so God has been very good to us uh, as his people. Uh, number one, obedience would make Israel a peculiar treasure to God. And so there's two groups in the Bible that are peculiar to the Lord. One is Israel and the other is the church. And we see that in 1 Peter 2 verse 9. Uh, talks about how that we are peculiar people to him. Peculiar doesn't mean strange. It doesn't mean we have uh, a third eye or something weird like that. Uh, peculiar just means we are separated unto him. We're something belonging to God and to him only. And, uh, and so he wanted a people on this earth that he could draw very close so that he could use them, prepare them to bring, bring the message to the whole world so he could draw everybody close. And so that's why he needed that peculiar people he always has. Israel was supposed to be that, uh, but because they didn't follow the guidelines and kept them peculiar, uh, that's why the Lord took them out of the land, because the land was for peculiar people, not just to go live. It had a purpose being in the land. And so, uh, number two, obedience would make Israel a kingdom of priests. These are people that could serve him acceptably, um, but not just a priest, but a kingdom of priests. Uh, it's talking about a royal priesthood, a royal power. Priests offer acceptable spiritual sacrifices to God. So in the Old Testament, the priests would go in and they would do service within the tabernacle. They would do service with the sacrifices. But the thing is this, we don't need to do any of that today. Uh, there, we have no part in that kind of service, but we still are priests. We're called to be priests unto God. And so what we're called to is actually to show forth those same characteristics of sacrifice and denial and all those things that the Old Testament taught, but not with outward uh, sacrifices, with inward attitudes and with, with uh, the, the, the state of our own heart. So it's like uh, when, I'll give you one example. I got a message I called uh, the New Testament uh, sacrifices. And... Um, or the New Testament, I forget what it's called, but I may have to preach that again sometime. But basically, it's, it's what are the sacrifices that the Lord is looking from God's people today? What is he wanting you to sacrifice? He doesn't want you to go get a lamb and, and kill that for him. Uh, but one example is how the widow was put those two mites into the offering, and the Lord watched that. And the Pharisees would bring in big bags of money, but yet he said she gave more than them all. And that, see, that's a spiritual sacrifice because the Bible says that she gave all that she had and she only had two mites, just a couple of pennies that she put in there. And the Lord looked at that as more than all the rest. So there's a sacrifice of giving. Uh, you know, and the Bible says that those things are a sweet-smelling savor. 
in the nostrils of God. So it's not always the, the big boom, you know, everybody's looking for the big splash. That you, it's not those things that impress God. It's the little things you do <laughs> that impresses God. He's not going to one day say, oh, yeah, you had a great meeting. You had so many people. That is not, he's not even going to bring that up. But he will talk about your heart and your attitude. That's where, that's where the sacrifices take place. The Bible says giving thanks to the Lord is a sacrifice. <laughs> well, how is that a sacrifice? Well, when it's going good, it's not. <laughs> Amen. But giving thanks when it's going bad, it is. When everything's being taken from you and your whole life is falling apart and people are turning on you and your health is going wrong and your finances, you know, you can't seem to get your head above water and yet you still bow to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for all you've done for me. That is a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of God. See, the service we have today is different than the Old Testament, but it has to do with a renewed heart. And that was the problem with the Israelites. You know, they could only show an outward show, but they couldn't do what we can do today. Uh, we have such a potential as God's people to make an impact in this world if we'll just handle things right. Because that's really what it is. Your, your, your greatest service to God is your reactions to problems and situations, pressures, you know, people self-medicate when they hit pressures, you know. That's not impressing God, <laughs> you know. He's allowing the pressure in your life for a reason. And it's not so you can go get drunk, <laughs> you know. He allows that pressure so you can turn to him, so, so he can show you how that you can face all the, all the temptations of life with his power, with his strength. And that's what make, speaks to people. I got somebody texting me here. There was an accident that took place. And uh, she's just texting me the details of that. I don't know where I'm getting the ding from. Yeah, you know me and these things. <laughs> Some, somehow the, the, the sound thing, I don't know how to adjust that. Anyways, uh, and so the spiritual sacrifices, and that's what I'm referring to there in letter B. Number three, obedience was necessary for Israel to be a holy nation. A holy nation. Holy simply means sacred, sanctified, separated to God, righteous within and without, totally consecrated. So really, you look at the Old Testament tabernacle. How do you make a utensil that is made out of metal, how can it be holy? How can it be holy? Well, there's nothing it, it does that makes it holy. It's just the fact that it's, the utensil has been set apart to God, you see. So when the Bible says, be holy, for I am holy... It says, be holy in all manner of conversation. What's it really asking you to do? It's really asking you to commit or consecrate all the different parts of your life to God. You see, because there's no way you're going to be totally free from defilement. <laughs> you know, you are going to have sins and you're going to have issues you work with till Jesus comes. But what he's asking for you is for you to take your life and consecrate it to the Lord. Your job should be consecrated to the Lord. That's why it's such a terrible thing for your job to take you away from church. You see, that's, just shows, that's opposite of holy. <laughs> holy is saying, Lord, I want my job to, to be consecrated to you, not to be a curse to the things of God. And so that's why we, we put a lot of emphasis on things like that. And that's why we talk about faithfulness and different things because we're trying to bring our life into holiness to our God. And that just really, like a utensil in the, in the tabernacle. It, the, what made it holy is that all it would be used for would be to glorify God. Amen? And that's what being holy is all about. Now, in order for us to be used in a, in a very consecrated way, there has to be an inner cleansing that takes place, you see. And that's where that cleansing happens. And that's where we have to deal with sin and different things that take us away from that purpose. You see, uh, greed or not trusting God or a lust of some kind. Those kind of things will always keep you from consecrating your life to the Lord. And his whole goal is for you to consecrate your life to him. Now that may sound like it's some kind of a, a extreme position for a Christian, but really it's not. That just shows you how far we've gone away as Christians where we think that consecrating our whole life to the Lord is a strange and, and alien thing. But in all reality, that is the Christian life. That is. You understand that? It's not just playing, you know. 
I mean, when he's going to meet us one day, he'll explain that to us, amen? But he already did with the word of God. He already showed us all these things. And so we are to be a holy nation uh, for the Lord. Um, let see if I had anything else on here. I think that's the last blank we had. I don't know if you guys have your original one from two weeks ago. You do? That was the last one I gave you, Joanne? Okay, good. And so we're going to go on from there, and we're going to look at Israel's response to the Lord here. So the Lord has this conversation with him. Remember Israel, just out of Egypt, they didn't really know God. I mean, they didn't know the God of, of Abraham. Uh, they spent 400 years in bondage. The Lord basically was silent the whole time until he heard the cries of the people. And then he remembered his covenant that I was going to make of them a great nation. Now, it's not like he forgot. <laughs> Amen. It's just that he chose that time. The timing was right. And that's when he went in to deliver them by calling Moses and so forth. But even Moses didn't really understand exactly who God was at that time. He didn't understand. That's why he says, well, who am I to do this? How can I do this? He didn't understand. And that's why uh, God told him, well, tell them I am sent you. See, they never knew God as I am. They knew him as El Shaddai or the Almighty. But they didn't understand I am or the Jehovah, the self-existent one. See, that's something he was going to teach them now. And so part of this, this whole growth that God has for, for God's people, as pictured with Israel, is the fact that the reason why we're not doing the will of God is because we don't know God. And he says, before I can get you into the land so that you can actually be profitable for me, you first got to know who I am. And you need to understand me and what my heart is and what I'm trying to accomplish here. See, at this point, they didn't. All they cared about was, where's my food? <laughs> you know, that's where Christians are sometimes. Where, where's the program for me? I mean, well, what are you going to do for me here in this church? That's all they get. They don't understand God yet. It's all about me. Why, why aren't you taking care of me? Why don't you shake my hand? <laughs> you know, because you forget one day or you miss it or whatever. You know, people get offended over those strangest things. But you know the reason is? Because they don't know God. They don't know him the way they ought to. Because the more you get to know him, the more you understand you're not here to take from people. You are here to give. <laughs> Amen. You're here to offer your time. You're to consecrate your life to others as you come here. That's why I tell people, you know, coming to church, it's, uh, it's not so much about what you get from the preacher, even though you're getting discipled, you're getting taught. But if at the very least, you ought to come here to be a blessing to somebody. You know, and it's funny how Christians are that way. Like it's, they, they will just sell that out in a second. It's just like <laughs> they would sell out the opportunity to be a blessing to someone. Well, what's the big deal? It's the biggest deal. <laughs> where you are not, where you could be used, where God could use you to be a blessing and encouragement to someone. And folks, and I'll tell you this, some people that actually come and sit in the chairs aren't even here. Do you understand that? <laughs> They're a long ways away. <laughs> their body's here, but their spirit ain't here. <laughs> and they're no good for anybody. In fact, sometimes people come here and they're more of a drain to God's house than a blessing. Amen? So we got to come here saying, hey, I'm consecrated to the Lord. I want to give my life to God and His purpose. And when you come to church, you should be looking at these people and say, how can I be a help and a blessing to someone here today. Even if I just shake their hand and say, hey, it's good to see you. <laughs> I mean, that means a lot to people. Amen? Amen? Especially when they've been having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month or whatever it may be, <laughs> you know? And so we got to get out of this mentality, well, I'm just coming here for me. Well, I don't get much anyways out of the preaching. Oh, I'm too tired, so I'm not going to go. Well, then sleep in the back. Just when you get up when the service is done, go shake someone's hand and tell them you care about them. You understand that? I'm not telling you to sleep. You know that, right? <laughs> you know, they used to have ushers with little sticks that always poke people. I'll, I'll, I don't think I'll ever find an usher that'll do it for us here. So <laughs> It used to work that way. Today, it wouldn't work. Amen. Anyways, letter D. Israel's response to the Lord. And we're going to look at Exodus chapter 19, verse number 7 and 8. So, 
So basically, he says, hey, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a, and a holy nation, verse 6. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the Lord people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Interesting dynamic here. So he says to Moses, You tell them, this is what I want from them. Moses goes to them. They say, you know what? 100%, we're behind that. He goes back to the Lord, and the Lord says, tell them I'm coming in a thick cloud and to prepare themselves. Wow. You notice he didn't really show up until they made that commitment. When they made that commitment, he says, now I'm going to show up. <laughs> you know, that's the way it is. So, number one, Israel committed, obe- committed obedience. Obedience. Israel really at this point didn't have a lot of specific laws that God had given them, but they had enough where they understood that they, they understood what obedience was. They were committing to obedience based upon what they knew about God and his care for them. He knew that he, he provided for them in the desert. He, he brought manna down. He brought water from the rock. They knew he was their answer ultimately. Amen. Just like we do, even though they fail time and time again. And he had proved himself faithful, and they were willing to follow him. Number two, the Lord approved of Israel's commitment to obedience. Um, We don't hear of the Lord's response in Exodus right here. But actually, later on in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is how the Lord responds. The voice of your words, when ye spake unto me, and the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto thee. They have well said all that they have spoken. So the Lord basically confirms, hey, they say, hey, all that you say, we're going to do it. God responds by saying, you know what? You said the right thing. That was, yes, the right answer. (laughs) Amen. Now, there's still a problem here, but it still is the right answer. It is the right answer. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing... You may not know exactly what you're going to do. You may not know exactly how you're going to do it. You may not even know how strong you are to actually do what God wants you to do. But one thing you do know is when you say, yes, I'll obey you, Lord, the Lord says that's the right answer. Even if you don't understand how you're going to do it. Even if you think you don't even have the ability to do it. It still is the right answer. Amen. All that you have said, we will obey. And so number three, the Lord knew that Israel would fail without the right heart. (laughs) Interesting, verse 29, directly after that, he says, Oh, that there were such a heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. (laughs) So he says, you said right. He says, you said the right thing. But he says, oh, that there were a heart in you. is present with me the apostle paul said but how to do that he says i cannot find and so basically what's happening here is the lord is showing us and gotta remember it's not an unfair situation because the lord has to show this in degrees to mankind he can't just dump the whole card on on people and that's why
All right. Is that on? Who unplugged that while I was preaching? <laughs> was it ever on? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Interesting. Oh, wow. The devil didn't like what I just said there. Amen. Anyways. And so... But their heart was not prepared for obedience to the level that they would need. Uh, the Mosaic law was always conditional. See, that's why it was made conditional, not unconditional. See, a lot of people today try to make the law or the Ten Commandments or the whole law of God is some kind of a uh, conditional uh, promise to Israel. And because they fail, that's it. You're wiped out. <laughs> or unconditional is what they're trying to say. But it was conditional, you see. They, they were given conditions. Why was that? Why did God say, if you will do this, then I will do that? Why did God use a Mosaic law like that? It expressed how holy he was, and he knew they'd never be that holy in, in the way that they were. But what he said, what he was saying was this, that these guidelines and these laws that I've given you will help you to be distinct in the world where people will see you as a very peculiar people that you can be a light to the world, you see. And if you do that, these are the blessings that will follow you. This is what's going to happen if you will obey the Mosaic law. But the problem is they never could. In fact, Jesus, when he came, he pointed that out. He says, none of your fathers kept it. None of them. <laughs> These things I'm going to do to Israel and so forth. Because God knew that he was going to bring them a new covenant that was going to change their heart. Amen. And then all these things would come to pass that he has been promising. But the thing is, they had to be brought to the knowledge that I cannot. persecuted and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have now been uh, who, whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it have not kept it so what was the problem ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and that's why throughout the new testament they were told you know the circumcision of your flesh means nothing but it's a circumcision of your heart that means everything. 
And it's the resisting of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And folks, there's no difference with us today. Really, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Amen. We have to be, we have to give, be obedient to the Lord through the prompting of the Spirit of God. You've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You cannot just be a uh, Christian that just pretends or conforms or uh, tries to act like a Christian. It's got to be a part of your heart. <laughs> See, the outward stuff is not impressing God. Putting on the suit, even coming to church. Like I said, some people come to church and they're not here. I know it. I can see it in their eyes. In fact, there's a hundred other places they'd probably rather be. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that just wouldn't be what a good Christian does. And they're not ready to make that kind of a statement that I'm not that good of a Christian. Amen? But the thing is, like I said last week, this isn't about have to. If this to you is about have to, you are missing it. You're way back in the wilderness with Israel. What you have to do. We will do what we have to do. It ought to be what you want to do. And not only that, I thought about this. There's another level, what you get to do. What I want to do and what I get to do. Amen? I get to do this. There's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of different things. To do something you want to do, but then to actually get in a position where there's something you want so bad that it could be held from you, but the Lord says you're going to be able to do it. You're going to say, you know what? I get to do this. I get to do it. You talk to some Christians today. Talk to some of those folks that are listening by live stream and would love to have all of you sitting beside them tonight. And they don't have it ever. They've got no people of God around them. You know what, if they could come here, they'd say, oh, I get to. I get to. It's a whole lot different than have to. That's why if you're a have to, Christian, you're a shame. You're a shame to Christ. I've been there. <laughs> it was a shame. And if you're there, you're a shame. And we ought to never have that kind of heart. But that is where Israel ultimately would be and become. They'd be stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, resisting the Holy Spirit of God, coming up with your own plan for life, putting on a show, pretending like you're a Christian so everybody thinks you are, but you're really not. You don't really care. Amen. Oh, that should smite our hearts. Amen. It should smite us. The Mosaic Law gave the standard to obey, but not the ability to obey it. Do you understand that? The Mosaic law said, this is the standard, and it is good. I mean, it's giving you the holiness of God. It's giving you the justice of God. It's giving you proper consequence for things. All these things are, are, are right in line with what truth and equity and justice and all those things represent. But he says, this is the problem. You don't have the ability to do it. <laughs> Amen? But the standard is good. In Jeremiah 31, verse 31, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Amen. They broke the covenant. And he's, he's talking about this Mosaic covenant they're going to get. Now, we're setting up to that in this Exodus chapter 19. We're setting up where God's showing how holy he is. We're going to do it, God. Whatever you want, we're going to do it. Good answer. I'm coming down. Wow. They weren't ready for that. <laughs> they weren't ready for that holy God to present himself the way he did. And that's why he presented himself the way he did. There was a purpose to it. He wanted to give them something they would never forget for every generation that they would ever have after them. And that's why he said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to come down so that they will believe you forever. <laughs> I'm not just going to come and pat them on the back. I am coming like the holy God of heaven upon that mount. And they will tremble. That is God. Amen. Sure isn't the God that a lot of people are talking about today. But that is the God, our creator. The one that gave us life, amen. 
And so it goes on, he says, So that covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. So this is talking about after the 70th week of Daniel. When Jesus Christ breaks through the clouds and like a lightning from the east to the west and he comes down to save his people, this is where that covenant comes into place. And that's why all the other covenants of the Old Testament, none of them are realized until that moment. When that moment in Jesus Christ puts his foot down on this earth and gives them a new heart, everything that he has promised Israel will take place in that day. In that day. They'll get the complete land. They'll get their purpose back. All those things that they always failed. (laughs) With that new covenant, God says, this is what's going to take. Guess what? That new covenant, you and I already have it as a church. And I'll read it to you. It says, this is the covenant, say the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? What's the issue here? He says, when I give you this new covenant, I change your heart. Nobody is going to know God more than the next guy. You're all going to know him. See, that's what it's always been about. Right from the beginning, I'm just trying to show you who I am. (laughs) Israel so stiff-necked and hard-hearted, they never understood God. That's why many times, even when we're, we're, we're operating within the church, we have to make some decisions. Some, some people get mad at you because they don't understand that God can actually be tough and God has to draw a line and God has to deal with sin. Amen? Because God is just about hugging. <laughs> no, think about the God that came down on the mount. And he says, don't you touch the border of that mountain. As if you touch it, we'll put you to death. That was that same God that people say is this tolerant God that won't do anything to hurt a fly. And I assure you, if anybody would have broke through and touched the border of that mountain, they would have been put to death. Amen? Uh, Believers are already a partaker of the new covenant. We see that in Romans 8 and many times throughout the scripture here, but I, I picked this one. It says in verse number two, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen? That's it in a nutshell, right right there. Number four, the Lord desires Israel to witness to the world. Isaiah 49, verse 6 says this, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. See, what is, it, what is the millennial kingdom all about anyways? God's still reaching into the world. Do you know that people will be born during the thousand-year reign? They're all going in saved, kind of like right after Noah's Ark. (laughs) Amen? They all went in saved, but it didn't take long. You had a Babylon. You had all these wicked things happening. And you know what? Jesus Christ is going to rule this earth for a thousand years, and they're going to come in saved out of the tribulation, and they're going to have children. They're going to have children. And the Lord wants to save every last one of them. Amen? For a thousand years. That's a long time. That's a long time. And so he's going to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. During that thousand years, Israel will finally fulfill their calling and their covenants that God made them, gave them throughout the whole Old Testament. They will become that light to the Gentiles. You see, it's not done. Really, for them, it's just the beginning, the millennial kingdom. And so within the boundaries of Israel, 
They, in fact, if you read um, oh, uh, Isaiah, uh, different passages, it talks about how that the land that Israel has, what it is, it's a bridge between the north and south part of the world. So what's going to happen is Egypt will come from the south to the north, and they have to pass through Israel. All the northern countries, Syria they call it, but Russia, you talk it, Europe, they all pass south through Israel. And the Bible says there will be a highway through and as they're going through, guess who's going to be there handing out tracks, <laughs> right? Who's going to be there witnessing? God's people, Israel. They'll be teaching the world. They'll be a light to the Gentiles. You see, it's an amazing thing. That's why God chose that piece of land. It connects two worlds, the north and the south. And that's why the battles always seem to be revolving around that piece of land. <laughs> Amen? Because it's central. It's the key of everything. Everybody wants it, you know. Interesting. So the Lord desired them to be a, a witness. In Acts 13, verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Amen. That's powerful. Paul is a Jew. Barnabas was a Jew. These were all Jewish people. They knew their purpose. They knew they were supposed to be a light. And they also knew that their people were rejecting it. And even Paul says, you know what? <clears throat> I've tried over and over to win you, to get you a part of this. <laughs> now we're going to turn our, our attention to the Gentiles. And see, that's the whole purpose of the church right now, you see. And the Lord had to, to remove the difference between the Jew and the Gentile within the church. That middle wall of partition has been taken down and there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile in the body of Christ. Amen? But that doesn't mean that the Israel is done. <laughs> There's still a purpose nationally for Israel. And that's where that millennial kingdom, that's where that comes into play. Um, but ye are a chosen generation, 1 Peter 2.9 says a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Show forth means to tell or declare, to declare abroad, make widely known. Amen? That's our purpose. That's why you're here tonight. That is what you need to dedicate your life to. Whatever you're doing, whatever job you have, whatever career you're going into, your, your life is supposed to be used to show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's what it's all about. We forget that, don't we? It becomes just about what this world is offering. We live for the world. We live for what we can get, you know, and forget that the people that are around us we're supposed to be reaching them. They're supposed to be getting saved. They're supposed to be at, least, at least get the opportunity to be saved. Amen? Number five, the Holy Spirit was given to empower God's people to do right because it could not in the flesh. And that's where Jesus, uh, to Israel, in John 7, verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen? He was preparing for that. That's why in Acts chapter 1 it says, um, Ye shall be witnesses, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That means there's no true witness until the Spirit of God is in us. Amen? You think about that. All of that time, from Genesis to the book of Acts, 
God was using to prepare people to understand what their purpose really was. Think about it. And to give them the power to do it. <laughs> Are you going to come set up your kingdom at this time? He says, don't worry about that. It's, it's not up to you to know that. But he says, this is what I will tell you. <laughs> Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and unto, in Samaria, unto the uttermost part of the world. Amen. That's what it's about. We're not worried about the kingdom. Christians today, they're, oh, let's bring in the kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom's coming whether you like it or not. That, that, you, you're not bringing it in any faster, all right? But what you can do is be a witness to bring people into the kingdom. That's what it's all about, amen? And so it's an interesting, um, I, I, I was looking at, and I'm not gonna go there right now, I'm gonna move on. Number two, God's people prepared uh, letter A, sanctification. So, I, I, so basically God says to Moses, I'm coming down in a thick cloud. So he begins to give some instruction on in how the people ought to prepare themselves. And we see that here in verse number nine. The first letter A is sanctification. Sanctification. Verse nine, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I am come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. So interestingly, he's saying, I want you to prepare for my coming. I'm giving you three days to prepare. So he tells them to wash their clothes. So it's interesting, you know, uh, wash your clothes. What does that have to do with anything? Can't the Lord use you with dirty clothes? What do you think he's doing with this? Well, he's teaching them. <laughs> they don't understand it. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, he's teaching them. That's why the dietary laws were given. That's why all these things were given to show the difference between the clean and the unclean because they didn't know how to discern it. Anything with a cloven hoof, uh, you, you don't eat, or you eat, and everything with a non-cloven hoof, that, that you don't eat, you know? And he'd give them laws like that over and over again. This you do, this you don't. <laughs> Now today, everybody's, oh, we need to follow the cloven hoofs and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> No, because you're missing what it's all about. And he tells you in the Old Testament what it's all about. He says, these things I told you so that you would know the difference between the clean and the unclean. So basically, it's like this. I told you this so that you would know that there is a line that has to be drawn between good and evil. It's not about meat and this meat. <laughs> this meat is just as good as that meat. And we learn that in the New Testament. They offered it to idols. He says, you know what? You could eat it. Wouldn't mean, a wouldn't mean a thing unless it offends someone's conscience. Amen? What it is, it's, a, it's an illustration to show them the difference between good and the difference between evil. So when Moses purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat, it had nothing to do with the meat. <laughs> had everything to do with the heart. Do you understand? Just a heart to obey God and to say, Lord, you said this isn't right for me. I'm not going to touch that. You know? But you know what? Now, I could eat what Daniel did not eat in chapter 1 of Daniel. Pretty amazing. <laughs> because it wasn't about the meat. Never was. It was always about God's people showing a difference to the world difference between clean and unclean. Amen? How important that is. So sanctification, why do they wash their clothes? Because <laughs> there's a difference between the clean and the unclean. It doesn't, it doesn't intimidate God. The dirty clothes doesn't intimidate him. <laughs> you know, it doesn't affect him. It doesn't slow him down. But he wanted them to learn the difference between clean and unclean. And when you approach me, you be clean. Now, he's referring more to this. But they need to understand this first. You understand? And that's what the Mosaic Law was all about this. All about the external. When Jesus came, it got internalized. You see? The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen? And so, uh, so this aspect of being holy for God just means to sanctify yourself, to be 
consecrated to the Lord. Uh, number one, God's people must sanctify themselves by obeying the word of God. That's what it really came down to. Uh, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Amen. It's always his words. Obey the words. He gave words to them. They heard the words. Then they had to make a choice whether we're going to believe the words and do them. Amen. Same thing we have. This book today is just like God coming to you in a thick cloud. You understand that? You see the words, you hear the words. Do you understand the words? Do you obey the words? Amen. Oh, well, you know, I'm still living. Nobody has struck me dead yet. (laughs) Well, if that were the case, we'd all be dead. But there is a reckoning. There is a reckoning. Um, So part of the Lord's strategy and approaching the people in this way was to cause them to listen to Moses. So this is what it's all about. Moses, you tell them. See, I'm going to do this so they will listen to you. (laughs) Because he's really the giver of the scriptures. He gives them the whole Torah. He gives them the first five books of the Bible, you see. Just like the, uh, the apostles in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus gave them signs that they could show people so that they would look at them and say, listen to these guys. Same thing he's doing with Moses. He always gives signs to authorize his man, which is really simply telling us to obey the word of God. The Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Day of Pentecost. How much of the New Testament did they have in their hands that day? Zero. Not one book of the New Testament. Yet they were told, they all followed the apostles' doctrine. How? By what they said. And then they began to write and distribute it to the churches. But notice that the churches were already there before the letters were written. Because the letters were written to the churches. (laughs) Amen. They're written to the churches. So that's a lot of just listening to the apostles. And that's why there was a lot of attacks. The apostle Paul many times had to, had to um, uh, what's the word here, defend his apostleship. And that's why he had to defend it. Because when you call yourself an apostle, you're saying, I am laying the foundation of doctrine for the church. Today, when someone says I'm an apostle, that's what they're doing too. <laughs> That's why there are no apostles today. There's no more foundation being laid. There's nothing that needs to be laid underneath the building anymore. Now we're building on top of it. Amen? Now we're putting up the walls and the, and the ceiling and so forth and the roof and everything like that. We're no longer laying foundation. But when the foundation was being laid, God came down with signs and wonders so that people would listen to them. Read Mark uh, 16, the last verses. You know those last verses? The, the, the textual critics will tell you they shouldn't be in the Bible. But all of them are there to authorize the apostles' doctrine. Isn't that something? That the devil would want to take away those verses? <laughs> because they're the verses that say, those that come after me will speak with new tongues. That was a verification. It's not something we do today. It had to do with God working out his revelation without the Bible. Amen? Oh, they shall drink poison and live. Who did that? The Apostle John. Oh, they'll be bitten by serpents and they won't die. Who did that? The Apostle Paul. Remember, it jumped out of the fire and bit him. They thought, oh, I hear you. must be a sinner. He's going to die. Then he didn't die. Oh, he must be a god. (laughs) That's people. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? All of those verses verify the the apostles' authority. And it's amazing that those are the ones that evangelicals today are bringing into question. Isn't that something? You think there's a reason for that? (laughs) I do, I do. By the way, John MacArthur, he doesn't believe they ought to be there. So if you're one of his followers, he's not sound. Don't be listening to him. 
Amen. I'm not saying he doesn't know some stuff. He knows some stuff. But he is not for us to, to fix our diet upon. Amen. Even I got a book by him in my library or whatever. You understand? And so, sanctification through the word of God. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So God's strategy worked because the people desired to listen to the mediator Moses because having the Lord speak directly was too fearful. Amen? Exodus 20, it said, And all the people saw the thunderings in verse 18, and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the, the, the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. So what was God's purpose? That they would listen to him. You think it worked? <laughs> it worked. It worked. He authorized Moses because he knew that Moses was writing the first five books of the Bible and also some of the Psalms, by the way. And says, um, and Moses said unto people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Nobody else did. Moses did. He drew near. Um, boy, I don't know if we have time. I got so many things here. So God's people must sanctify themselves by staying clean before the Lord. There's a lot of verses there. I encourage you to look at those. Letter A. Israel were told to wash their clothes. We already looked at this. Um, you can, you can uh, equate that to 1 John 1, 6 to 8. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Amen? That means if the truth is in you, you will always know that you have sin to deal with in your life. If you get to the point where you say, oh, there's no, I, I'm doing okay, that's because you haven't been spending time in the truth. But if you're walking in the light, think about this. <laughs> you don't see anything in the room until the light is on. Oh, my room is perfectly clean until you turn the light on. And now it's not so clean anymore because <laughs> I see it. And so the Bible says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So that means when you decide to walk in darkness, the blood of Christ cannot cleanse you. The sanctification process stops in your life. It's only when you say, I want to walk with the Lord. <laughs> then the blood begins to change you again, sanctify you. You understand that? Folks, you are either going forward for God or you're going backwards. But there's not one person in this room that's staying in one spot. You understand that? You're either saying, preacher, I am walking in the light. And I'm allowing the truth to expose all the weakness and the sins and the errors and everything else I'm thinking wrong and all those things. And little by little, God is doing a work in me. Hey, that's all anybody could ever ask. It's not a race. It's not how fast we're going to get there. It's about pointing in the right direction and moving. That's really what we have here. We got, in, in the Christian world, you got two kinds of people that are saved. You got those that are wanting to go forward in the light and those that are going backwards in the darkness. And the only reason they're going backwards in the darkness is because the sin is not being exposed. See, they've allowed lies to deceive their minds. That somehow I'm okay right now, or I can't do that, or oh, I, I can't overcome that sin. <laughs> when, you, when you start listening to that kind of garbage, you start going the wrong direction. <laughs> See, that's darkness, it's lies, it's deceit, it's satanic. The devil wants you to believe that you can't. <laughs> when the Lord said by his word, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So I can do everything. So when you say, I can't do right, you're going against the very word of God. Is that not true? And then you're no longer walking in the light. And the blood of Christ is no longer cleansing you. 
making you purer as the days go by. In fact, you're becoming dirty and more dirty. <laughs> you see, that's why, it's, that's why you can look at sometimes a saved person that's doing wrong. They look like a lost person until you get to talk to them. And then you say, oh, yeah, <laughs> I see where this went awry, <laughs> you know. It isn't because the Christ isn't in there. It's because somehow they have chosen not to walk in the light. Somewhere. Some decision they made, you know. This is all the children of Israel could do for themselves in this situation. They cleansed their clothing. What else could they do? (laughs) What else are you going to do? What are you going to do to prepare yourself for the holy God of heaven? God looked down and says, well... Can't do much with your hearts right now, so might as well wash your clothes. <laughs> Amen. Might as well get your clothes clean. I'm going to teach you what this means. You see, I want you clean when you come before me. That's why he told them to wash your clothes. Moses commanded that they would not come at their wives. He added this, actually. And so, like, was that a right thing to add, Moses? Well, I guess so, since God wanted them to hear him. So basically, he said, I don't even want you to think about anybody else except God right now. I want you to just focus on him for the next three days until he comes down on that mountain. (laughs) Prepare your heart for him. Wow. So sanctification. Let it be protection. Exodus 19, 12 says, And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mountain or to the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, And they stood at the nether part of the mount. So God needed to protect the people from their pride of thinking they could approach God. See, what's happening is he's preparing them for something he's going to give them, which is called the law. He's he's wanting them to understand there is a boundary here. There's a holiness here. There's a consequence here. There is death here. And what I'm going to give you you're going to have to take it very seriously. Amen? Number one, God told the people not to touch the border of the Mount Sinai or be put to death. You see that reiterated again in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. It says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, uh, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And so much as the beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Even Moses feared and quaked. Uh, Letter A, Moses, uh, Mount Sinai is a symbol of God's holiness. The law would be given on this mountain to Moses. In 2 Peter 1.18, it says, And this voice which came from heaven, which we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So the law was holy and was unattainable by sinful men. Let it be God desires to protect sinners from destruction by causing them to understand his unattainable holiness. He brought Adam and Eve out of the garden because he didn't want them to eat of the tree of life in their sinful state. God is always trying to protect people in their sinful state. Isn't that amazing? You and your sinful state, you think you just say, hey, just go ahead, whatever, you're, you're, you're done. <laughs> but Adam and Eve, in their sin-cursed state, he said, we got to protect them. And he protected them by putting them out of the garden and putting an angel there with a flaming sword <laughs> because he didn't want them to eat of the tree of life in their sinful state. 
He didn't want them to forever be in their sin. So in other words, he said, I'm willing to let you die so that you can live. That's what he's saying. So today, the people would say, oh, I'd rather just live and live in a sinful state. Fountain of youth, right? The Lord is the fountain of youth. He's going to totally renew us forever in eternity. Amen? But why would anybody want to live forever like this? And that's why God said, no, I'm not going to let it happen. I'm going to let death come. Because if I don't let death come, then how will my son die for your sins? Amen? So there's a big doctrinal reason why God had to put them out of the garden that day. But it was for their protection. Even though it seemed like it was the worst thing to do. Now you're going to let them go die. Amen? He says you need death in order to have life. Right? God did a... Um, boy, i got to move fast here. Number two, God provided access to him on Mount Sion by grace. So I read you Hebrews chapter 12 talking about that mount which cannot be touched. And I'll be done right after this. But ye are come unto the Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to, the, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we, not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That's interesting. You say, what are you talking about? The earth and everything touched by sin will be destroyed. You think about this. Everything within the first six days of creation that was being made is going to be totally obliterated. That's all of creation. Six days of creation. What was created in six days? Everything. <laughs> everything. He says, I'm going to shake it up so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. What is going to remain? The new creature. <laughs> the one thing that was created outside of the six days. And that's you as a born-again believer. Isn't that interesting? In Adam all die, but in Christ shall all be made alive. We're new creatures. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Boy, that adds something to that. <laughs> you understand that? You're a new creature in Christ. You're the only thing created after the six days. Everything within the first six days are going to be shaken and dissolved. So men that refuse to become new in Christ will be a part of that shaking. Wow. Wow powerful so the lord is saying i've made mount sion approachable it's a place of perfect men just men it's a place of the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of abel amen the sacrifice that christ made so we could become brand new but he says don't forget that i'm still the god of mount sinai i'm still going to shake the earth amen today's god isn't like that anymore in people's minds. See, they've got themselves convinced that, oh, well, that's Old Testament. Well, if that's Old Testament, then how do you explain how he's going to destroy it all? <laughs> he's going to do something more drastic than he's ever done. That's the God we have. Amen? It says, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Wow, <laughs> you know, how do you justify that? Serving God and, and serving Him in the Spirit, and yet He's still a consuming fire. He is still that God of the Mount. 
I'm just glad he made us another mount. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to be stuck on Mount Sinai. I'm on Mount Zion now. So are you, if you're born again. Amen. Anyways, we don't have any more time. I, I got so much stuff. I should have thought of that before I wrote a book, before I tried to preach it in church. Amen. Anyways, let's bow our heads. <laughs> Moses was the mediator on Mount Sinai. Jesus Christ is the mediator on Mount Sion. Moses gave the law on Mount Sinai. Jesus gave us grace and truth on Mount Sion. The two mounts of God. What a powerful message that would be. Christian, I don't know how the Lord spoke to you, but we talked a lot about sanctification, a lot about consecration for your life. It's real, that God is real. He expects this from us. He's called us to it. If you're saved, you've got a purpose. We've got such a potential, such a privilege to have this, even before Israel does. We have this new covenant, this new heart, this changing of our heart today where we can show forth spiritual sacrifices to the world that they can see a difference in God's people. That we can show them what true love is, not this fake love that they go going on, but the love that makes hard decisions to protect people, to salvage people, to deal with sin. That's the God of Sinai. That's the God of Zion. And maybe I don't know which direction you're in today, whether you're walking in the light or you're walking in darkness. Are you truly spending time in God's word? Are you seeking for his truth every day? Are you learning and growing? Are you submitting to it? You don't have to read pages and pages and pages. Just give yourself to the Bible every day. Read something and keep talking to God about it. Say, God, I'm not getting much, but Lord, please help me. Oh, he'll open up your eyes. He may test you for a bit. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep reading the Bible. Don't give up. He will speak to you. He will open up your eyes. You got no other choice. Walk in the light or walk in the darkness. 